This is Dave, and I'm here with Ethan, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al Podcast, episode 42-inch. On this week's episode, we interview Will Anderson, who was not only the composer for My Little Pony, he also has recorded and toured with Weird Al, plus was the music producer for The Weird Al Show. It's Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al it's a podcast about Weird Al. Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. You don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Uh, hey, Dave. So, where are you? You're not here at our luxurious 27-star recording studio, you know, in your usual solid gold throne? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I told you. I'm in Las Vegas right now. I'm sitting out, enjoying the beautiful, sunny, warm weather, and drinking Yankaritas by the pool. Bravo, Dave! That is pure dedication. Even on vacation, you're taking time out of your sweet, sweet relaxation to record the best Weird Al podcast in the world for all of our wonderful listeners. Well, I mean, it is in our contract. I'm legally not allowed to take a break from recording podcasts until we finish recording episode 2000-inch. So after this one, we still have another 1,958 episodes to go. So due to this long-term contract you had to sign, we'll be making these podcasts till the end of time? Why did we even agree to sign these ridiculous contracts anyway? I was promised free ice cream if I signed. Uh, good point. Hey, I was promised free burrito burrito. This week's episode brought to you in part by vegan Mexican restaurant Burrito Burrito in Troy, New York, home of the two-pound double-wrapped-in-a-quesadilla Burrito Burrito. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito, your Burrito Burrito. Find them at burritosquared.com and at burritosquared on Instagram. And remember, not every burrito is a Burrito Burrito Burrito, but every Burrito 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 can be Burrito Burritoed. Anyway, speaking of Vegas, Dave, you seem to go to Las Vegas quite a bit. Have you seen Al perform there? I have seen Al perform in Las Vegas seven different times. Whoa! The first time I saw him was actually on the Alpocalypse Tour in 2011, and that was actually at the Cannery Casino. And I have a funny story about that one is I remember buying the tickets online and for the longest time, I could not figure out where I was sitting. So when I went to the box office, I'm like, I know I have tickets somewhere reserved. Can you tell me where I'm sitting? And they go, they hand me the tickets and they go, oh, you're front row right in the center. I was like, Whoa. oh, perfect. So I didn't know I was sitting front row until I actually got there. That's amazing. Yeah. It was actually a really cool concert, a cool venue. But what was one really interesting thing is, and I know you'll love this as a collector, is we went to have like dinner right before the concert in this little like, I guess it was a food court. I don't remember what it was, but they actually had um, like paper placemats and Al was advertised Whoa! on the paper placemat. Oh, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah, it was really cool. I've never seen a paper placemat you know, with an advertisement for a Weird Al concert on it before. Oh. So, of course, I picked up a few of them for the collection. I hope that you got an extra for me, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I do. Next time you come over and I serve you burrito burritos, I will serve them on a Weird Al placemat. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> All right, so that was the first time you saw Al. What about the next time you saw Al? You, you've seen him seven times in Vegas. Yeah, the next time I saw Al was also on the Apocalypse Tour, but this was in 2013. That was a long tour. It was a long <laughs> tour. It might still be going on. <laughs> yeah, that one was actually interesting because that was like in July and it was so hot there. I was like sweating like crazy. 
it was amazingly hot there. Um, I did go out see him again. Actually, I saw him five days in a row on the Mandatory World Tour in 2015. The first five shows of the Mandatory World Tour. Oh, that was so much fun. I was at Planet Hollywood. Oh, that was incredible. So you saw Al all five shows in a row at Planet Hollywood on the Mandatory World Tour? Is that like our world record? <laughs> five shows in the same venue? Five days in a row? I think it is. And maybe he might have done some like in the really early tours, like when he was like first starting out. But I mean, certainly like this is the first time in like, that I can think of that he had like a residency at like one venue, like repeatedly over again. It was really cool. Like, I really think he could do well with a, like a Las Vegas residency. I think he'd really do well there. That would be really cool. I, I feel like you and I would have to move to Vegas if that happened, though. <laughs> yeah, it would be a problem. I would like it a little bit closer to home, like maybe a New York City <laughs> residency. But yeah, certainly Las Vegas would be a great place for him to do something like that. Maybe he could do a residency at Burrito Burrito, so it's close to me. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great, because then we could have vegan Mexican food on Weird Al placemats and go and see Weird Al concert every night. I would love that. That would be so cool. <laughs> All right. So the Planet Hollywood, five shows in a row. And those were the first five shows of that tour. Yeah, that was really cool because he was obviously, you know, like you get to see the Mandatory World Tour like for the first time. I love going to the first show of any, you know, tour because it's just so much fun to be there. But to be there in Las Vegas, a city I love, and then to just be at like five shows in a row, and it was great. I mean, I had so much fun there. That was actually the first time that I met, if you remember, Jerry Tomlin? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was great. I mean, he would dress up if you've ever seen, like, if you ever went to the Mandatory World Tour and you saw this guy dressed up like the cover of the Mandatory Fun album, <laughs> that was Jerry. You couldn't miss him. You could not miss him. No. <laughs> so I just remember that, like, Jackie and I, we were, I think we were going up the escalator and Jerry was coming down the escalator and we kind of passed each other. And, like, we just, like, see this guy dressed up as Mandatory Fun Al and we kind of looked at him and was like, how do I not know this guy? <laughs> and I look at Jackie and she looks back at me. She's like, we need to meet him. You know? <laughs> and we did. And he, and he was a great guy. And he actually dressed up also as the guy from the foil video, one of the concerts too. And he had this great gigantic, huge foil hat. Oh, it was so cool to, <laughs> to get to see Jerry do his cosplay. But what was also interesting is that I didn't know this was going to happen until I got there. But when I got there, I ran into Bermuda and he's like, oh, I'll give you backstage passes for the last show, for the Saturday show, the May 16th show. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, because you're never going to turn down backstage never. passes, right? <laughs> so Jackie and I are like, you know, get back there. And we look and there literally there's me and Jackie in the room. And then there's Tom Lennon and his family and Andy Richter and his family. Oh my gosh. And that's it. And we're like, Jackie and I look at each other like, I think we are in the wrong place <laughs> but no we had the passes um Whoa. and it was also yeah it was really cool to, to get to like be backstage with like two celebrities like that it was really cool well and that was the night that tom lennon came out for yoda yeah that was tom lennon did come out and actually perform <laughs> on stage that night which was a nice surprise as well it was really cool to kind of be back there and see him that was also the first night that i met 
JW. That is the first time I met JW too. Tell me your story. Okay, so this is kind of funny. So I'm backstage, I'm talking with Bermuda, and JW is handling Al. And this is like the first time, you know, he's been handling Al. So he's kind of, he's a little nervous. You know, he's trying to make sure Al's in the right, doing the right thing. So yeah. he comes back, he introduces him, of course, you know. Andy Richter and Tom Lennon go first because, you know, they're Andy Richter and Tom Lennon. <laughs> and then, you know, he comes over to, to me and I'm talking with Bermuda and Jackie and, and Bermuda goes, Oh, by the way, this is Dave Rossi and uh, Jackie Rossi. And he goes, Oh, and Dave has weird Al tattoos. He goes, Oh, cool. And meanwhile, Jackie had handed um, JW her camera to take a picture of, you know, me and Al and Bermuda and Jackie together. Mm-hmm. And JW was taking the picture. So he goes, Oh, cool. So he's, Tosin takes pictures of my ankle on Jackie's camera. <laughs> and Jackie's like, yeah, I've seen them already. It was, it was really funny. So we have these pictures of my ankle from the concert. I'm like, I don't think JW realized what he was doing. Was, I think he thought he was had his own cell phone or something. But it was a, it was funny. And, of course, you know, I kid JW about that once in a while. But it was so great to finally get to meet JW on that tour because he is such an instrumental part to, you know, the whole entire Alex experience. Well, but that was really, that was, as you said, the first time JW is part of the Weird Al experience was during the Mandatory World Tour in 2015. So what a, a great asset that we've gained as Weird Al fans having JW still around. Yeah, for sure. Now, Ethan, I think you were actually at one of those Planet Hollywood concerts, too. You know, I was at that last one, the May 16th show. And, you know, this was a couple years ago. This was before I was really flying out and going to Seattle for Weird Al shows, that kind of stuff. (laughs) Um, And I I really I didn't have any plans to go to the Vegas show. um, And I'd never been to Vegas before. But then, you know, I'm, I'm sure you and everyone listening can relate you always sign up for any kind of Weird Al related newsletter possible. I've signed up to the Weird Al newsletter on my like personal email. I'm signed up on my work email. Like no matter what, I'm getting Weird Al emails. I sign up for every single one. It's the complete opposite of like the spam ones from other companies. <laughs> it's like I want anything and everything as soon as possible with Weird Al related. So, <laughs> you know, I, I of course I'm signed up for the thing when they announced the mandatory world tour, they had this thing called the flyaway contest. And I was like, I don't know what this is. I'm sure I won't win, but it's asking for my email address. I might as well sign up. Maybe it's another newsletter. So I signed up for this thing. Didn't really think too much of it. Well, then a couple months later, I get an email real inconspicuous. It says, Hey, Ethan, you won the flyaway contest, you know, respond by this date to claim your prize. I was like, this can't be real. (laughs) Nobody, (laughs) (laughs) Nobody actually wins these contests, but sure enough, I won the flyaway contest. They flew, I think, about 50 fans from all over the country to Las Vegas, including a guy from Las Vegas one of flight to Las Vegas and I got pair of tickets the the airfare was covered my hotel was covered they had a limo pick us up from the airport they gave us some spending money they gave us a ride on the big Ferris wheel thing it was so unbelievably cool so Kate was kind of bummed but I decided to take my dad with me because he's the guy who got me into Weird Al 
And uh, so I brought my dad, and we just had a blast going to Las Vegas. And of course, included with the tickets, we got to do the VIP party. And this was really cool because it was my first time ever doing the mandatory world tour VIP party. So it was before the show. We got to do all the fun activities. And of course, I met JW, who was the host, and he was wearing, you know, his his full army general regalia. So I got a picture with him and, you know, the show went on. You know, you saw the same show I did. got to meet Al, yada, yada. Years later, I've talked about this in the podcast before, but I got to do marketing for when Weird Al came on the second leg of the Mandatory World Tour when he came to Proctor's. And I also handled some VIP stuff uh, in my role at Proctor's. So who do I get an email from to set up the VIP party, but JW. (laughs) So I'm going back and forth with JW in a professional capacity, you know, making sure we have a space and things are set up. And I said, you know, I think I've met you before. (laughs) So I emailed him the picture I took with him at Planet Hollywood. (laughs) I was like, we met before. It was really funny. So that was really cool getting to, to send that to JW in the future. That's an incredible story that, you know, just randomly enter this contest and you get like this full paid all expense, you know, trip to Las Vegas and you get to meet Weird Al and you get, you know, like great seats and you get to meet JW too. But it was, (laughs) (laughs) it was unreal, Dave. I, I honestly, I've never won anything like that prior to that or after that. But of course, if I'm going to win any kind of contest, a Weird Al contest is the one I'm going to want to win. So that was super cool. That is incredible. Thanks so much for sharing that with us. Yeah. I'm so glad that we got to hear about your Las Vegas experiences with Al, too. Yeah, I only wish there was a Weird Al concert going on right now while I'm out here. Well, there actually is one at Burrito Burrito, I meant to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually heading there right now. It's okay. It's a residency. I'm sure I will be at many of his shows there. <laughs> Lest anyone think that Al is actually going to be at Burrito Burrito, that is not actual news. But I do actually have some interesting news, Dave. I don't know if you saw this, but there is going to be a four-issue comic book crossover series of My Little Pony and Transformers. Wow, what a weird combination. I mean, I know they're both Hasbro, you know, characters, but right. like that is like just like okay, My Little Pony and Transformers. Like how do those two, you know, get in the same universe? Yeah, I I mean, I've been thinking about it a lot and I'm really not sure how it's going to relate. <laughs> you know, giant transforming cars and ponies who are magical. <laughs> uh, but they're doing it this May, but I can't help but think it's just a comic book series. Maybe it'll turn into a TV show or a movie one day. But do you think that they're going to include both of Al's characters from those shows? That would be pretty cool because obviously he played Rekgar as one of the Transformers. And then he plays Cheese Sandwich as one of the My Little Ponies. So you could have Rekgar interacting with Cheese Sandwich in this comic book. And Al would be you know, behind the scenes playing both of those characters. <laughs> How cool would that be? I would love... so. This is the dream, Dave. They make an actual like TV series or special. The Weird Al, Rekgar, and Weird Al Cheese Sandwich have a duet. That would be the coolest thing. <laughs> <laughs> Al duetting with himself. <laughs> but as Rekgar and Cheese Sandwich. Right, of course. <laughs> I think we need to somehow make that happen. Let's start a petition right now, Dave. <laughs> 
you need to drop what you're doing and you got to come back to the East Coast so we can get this petition started. What a great idea. I will be on the next reasonably priced flight out of here. As soon as the check clears, of course. Dave, also wanted to mention some news that will leave you speechless. Right. Uh, yeah. So, you know how we both went to that amazing Red Rock show in Denver, Colorado for the Strings Attached Tour last August? Al just released on his YouTube a video of Amish Paradise from that show. Yeah, speechless, right. Uh, did you see that there is a Tiny Tim documentary called Tiny Tim King for a Day directed by Johan Van Sydow? It's going to be hitting the festival circuit soon. And most importantly, Weird Al himself is the narrator. We get it, Dave. You're speechless. Well, anyway, that's all the news I have for this week. But just mere minutes ago, we were talking about My Little Pony. And speaking of, our guest this week actually has quite the connection to the most recent My Little Pony TV series. Yes, he not only is the composer for My Little Pony, but he is responsible for getting Weird Al onto the show as Cheese Sandwich. He toured with Weird Al in 1985 on the Stupid Tour, and he was the music producer for the Weird Al show. We are so excited to share our interview with Will Anderson. We're really excited. We're on the line here with Will Anderson. He's played on Polka Party Poodle. He's been there from the beginning. He joined the band on the Stupid Tour in 1985. He produced much of the music for the Weird Al show. He's got a resume that's a mile long. Welcome, Will. Thank you. <laughs> we're so excited to talk to you. Ever since uh, we were speaking to Bermuda and he spoke so highly of you and told us about your great involvement with Weird Al and, and your role in getting Al the cheese sandwich character. It's so many things. We have so many things to discuss. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I forgot about the cheese thing. On uh, You're talking about the My, Pony, My Little Pony show, right? Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, God, I worked on that for 10 years. Uh, and... Uh, I, I remember uh, thinking, I, I remember the, uh, the director, uh, Jason Thiessen, uh, they called him J, uh, Jason T because there were a couple, and I uh, uh, was talking to him and saying, you know, I used to play in Weird Al's band, and he, uh, you know, My Little Pony has a strange nerd-like crossover audiences of audience of people up to 40 years old. And uh, I'd done a couple of conventions, and it just like, it felt like a little bit of Al's early audience so i went to um actually uh to talk to his manager jay and he was playing at the uh, pacific uh amphitheater down in in irvine and, and i pitched it to jay and and you know then i just let it go and um th they ended up hiring him and for to do a couple of characters and i think it was in two or three different episodes i know it spanned a couple of seasons and um it was fun. I never, of course, uh, when you score a show, you're in post. I get it after everything's locked. And when you do a voice in the show, you do it in pre-production. Uh, and so I, I never got to see Al or go to the records. I was busy on the other end of things. But, right. uh, you know, I knew his voice when I heard it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> That's so amazing. So, I, I mean, before we get into the Al stuff, how did you get involved with My Little Pony? Well, I've done a lot of animation over the years, and I did a couple of shows for Linda Steiner when she was over at Warner Brothers. 
uh, Earthworm Jim and Astro Boy. So and, cool. <laughs> uh, wait, no, wait a minute. I'm mixing up my studios. That was Universal. I did Spider Man and a Christmas show, A Miser Brothers Christmas. And she always really appreciated the way I handled Mickey Rooney, who voiced the Heat Miser. And he was, uh, I mean, everybody was just steering clear of him, you know. And, and they asked me, will you go into the booth and talk to him? And I was like, fearless. I just went, sure. And, uh, you know, we got it done. He's a good guy. Uh, you know, he's so old school, you know. I mean, he goes back to the Judy Garland musicals and is an amazing guy and um, a little um, I wouldn't say he's difficult but you know he's been in the business so long he, he has his way of doing things um, and that was fun anyway Lin Linda really appreciated the way I handled the session and the, the score and the songs and then she moved to what was then the hub network which was something Hasbro was starting and um, one of the first shows was going to be a My Little Pony reboot of the franchise. And they had five or six composers blind. It was a short list. Uh, blind submit. Uh, you know, we all scored the same minute and a half of animation. And the executives listened to them not knowing who the composers were. Mm. And they picked me out to do the score. I, I kind of won that competition. I also submitted for the songs, uh, but Daniel Ingram, uh, who right, you know, I mean, honestly, it was the right choice. He wrote so many wonderful songs for the show throughout the course of it, and uh, and there away we went. None of us thought it would go to, you know, spend ten years and uh, working on the show and do nine seasons and four or five different films. Uh, uh, it's in 180 countries, you know. It's it turned incredible. out pretty good. We just finished <laughs> yeah. last, yeah. We just we just finished last June. Wow. So, um, yeah, that's how I got into that. Yeah, I I mean I've never um, personally been a, a fan of My Little Pony. It's never something I followed. And then when Al started doing the voices and they had the character, I started buying the Weird Al merchandise of him as the the pony. And it it was it was so funny to to add that to my collection something i never thought i would have for my weird Al collection is is my little pony figures i mean you must not have ever expected to go into something like that when you were getting started with the band nipper honestly this is the first i've heard of the my little pony uh weird Al characters <laughs> to sell i didn't i didn't even know they make them but uh, I've never been, I've always been just a guy in the trenches, uh, and so I'm not surprised. <laughs> so, Will, can you tell us a little bit about how you first discovered Weird Al, how you first kind of met him? Yeah, it was a good story. It was Bermuda, and we uh, were in a, a new wave band called Nipper, and uh, we were rehearsing at Uncle Studios, I believe it was called, in Los Angeles, and playing all the, you know, club 88 and Madame Wong's East and West and Club, you know, Hollywood and the Coconut Teaser, all those same clubs that, you know, Motley Crue and Van Halen and everybody played punk bands like X and Germs and, uh, and uh, we never got real successful. But I remember um, Bermuda coming to rehearsal and saying, I played with a guy named Weird Al Yankovic on the Dr. Domino show last night and he's gonna be a star and then he said how they kind of improv another one rides the bus and 
Bermuda just played on the accordion case, and <laughs> Al did his thing on the, yeah, that's what he does for drums, and, and Al, you know, used his, uh, you know, played accordion and sang, and I think Dr. Domeno ended up pressing that, and ended up selling a lot of records, or, you know, for, for a small market, and, and um, they went forth from there. Our band ended up breaking up, and Bermuda went over to Al. I mean, he's the original member of that band. Yeah. And uh, and then, uh, you know, Jim uh, um, and Jay uh, came out from Florida and uh, joined, and uh, that's the core band, always was the core band. And uh, they moved through a couple of keyboard players before Ruben ended up anchoring the chair for... I mean, he used to be the new guy, and the new guy has now been in the band something like, huh, like 20 years or something. So, yeah. We played the Carson show. I remember doing the Johnny Carson show with them. I was intimidated because they brought out all the brass players in Doc Severson's orchestra to stand behind me and back me up on the, you know, the, the horn charts. And it was like, God, you know, these guys are really good. I think I made some clams in that performance, too. I, I think I missed a note or something. I was, I was a little rattled. So you're primarily when when you've played with Al, you're playing saxophone, trumpet, harmonica. It, you know, is that typically what you play? Yeah, and guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I play guitar like on "Eat It." You know, uh, Jim West always taught me. That I, I was a reasonably good guitar player, still am, and and he would teach me the, uh, you know, because somebody has to hold on that da 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 groove on. <laughs> on eat it all the way through and he needs to do a lot of other stuff so yeah so uh, wow so when was the first time that you actually you know sat down and recorded with al what album was that it was the very first record i didn't i don't have a long recording history with him but i remember taking my alto sax and i forget the name of the song and i've got the record somewhere and uh and he wanted a sax solo on it and you know, I was goofing around trying to find something, and he wasn't really hearing it. And so it was amazing. He came out, and we ripped up a shopping bag, and he wrote out the solo he was hearing in his brain in concert pitch on the shopping bag. And I could read in concert, even though the alto is an E-flat instrument. I could read it in con- in, in concert pitch, and, and that was pretty much it. I mean, I sight-read that solo then got comfortable with it, and that's what ended up being on the record. Wow. Wow. I'm wondering, was the song Buckingham Blues? Oh, yeah, yeah. I played harmonica on that, didn't oh. I? No, or was that the one I did the sax alone? See, I don't remember. It's been a long time. <laughs> uh, but I remember some years later, he called me in to do some harmonica on, on that Dylan song he did with the, uh, what do you call it when it's the same? A paladerm. It was all a big paladerm. Yeah, Bob. Yeah, Bob, yes. <laughs> That song is amazing. <laughs> uh, uh, all of, you know, so many songs. And you also played on some tracks, at least on Polka Party. Do you remember what those were? Uh, no, I don't. Oh, okay. Oh, wait, wait. It was, uh, yeah, I kind of remember. It was the Polka Medley uh, doing some of the brass work. Mm. Oh, okay. Very nice. Yeah, the Polka Party song. Yeah, great. But you were out on tour with the band uh, in 1985 for the Stupid Tour. Can you tell us a little bit about what that was like? Sure. It was, I know, a long, arduous tour. I think it was his first really big tour. We played 
you know, Bermuda is so good at this. He goes, we did 84 dates in the summer. And uh, he is such an archivist. <laughs> yeah. He's really remarkable. He still has everything. He sent me the still photos from our nipper days the other day. I found all the 35 negs. I mean, he's Whoa. got everything. But, yeah, we, we played. It was the Dare to be Stupid tour. We played 84 dates, some of them with 10,000 people there. And, you know, it was the first kind of tour where he had some props and and films, you know, that still are the hallmark of uh, his shows, like the all the little clips that Al TV from the MTV days and those interviews that are kind of, you know, edited together mm-hmm. and funny. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he's always done that, you know, it makes way, it makes time for a costume change. And, uh, uh, you know, he has just gone on and on. I, I talk to people about him and they don't. They, if they remember him, they don't remember, you know, some people don't even think he's doing anything anymore. And I go, no, it's like every album goes platinum and his audience yeah. gets bigger and bigger. <laughs> like like Jimmy Buffett, you know, I mean, the generations of, of devoted fans. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> <laughs> so on the, the Stupid Tour, were you playing the brass? Like what, what instruments were you playing? Yeah, I was playing sax, trumpet, harmonica, guitar. And uh, I'll remember if I did any keyboard bits. If I did, they were minimal. But And, you know, a little bit of singing. But I was kind of a utility man, just filling in all those, you know, like I want a new uh, drug. That, like the Huey Lewis right. thing we did, I'd play right. the sax riff. And I played the trumpet on the polka melody and, and guitar on Eat It and uh, harmonica. There was a song on harmonica. I don't remember what it was, but we didn't do it very long. Just he, he dropped it from the set. You know, those were, you know, the, 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 the big, you know, kind of the popular numbers I played on. And then, uh, you know, I did stuff on other songs that I don't remember. What was the transition to working on the Weird Al show? Oh, yeah, I remember that. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> I had already been scoring. Uh, and then Al got his... Um, show on CBS and I don't know how they by that time I was out of the band but I was doing scoring and I don't know how the uh, great opportunity to work on that show fell into my lap but it was so much fun and uh, I wrote a whole lot of different styles of music for it and you know including the bumpers and uh, Mm -hmm. ins and outs for the show and Al wrote the theme, and uh, I thought it was terrific. And and I was sorry that it, uh, you know, we got the axe after one. I think it ran for one season, and that and that was it. You know, but it's still running somewhere. Oh yeah, it's still available <laughs> on DVD. <laughs> I, I I know, like on my royalty statements, every once in a while I get something from the Weird Al show, and it's literally, it's like two cents, <laughs> and I highlight it, and I go. I send it to Al, and I go, Al, I'm still raking it in. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Two cents. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and there were a lot of skits and stuff in the Weird Al show. Were you involved in all those little skits and that as well? Uh, 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 no. I mean, I get it in post, you know. Oh, okay. Uh, Everything's done, and and Al Al is the creator. I mean, and he would give me specific musical direction. You know, like uh, this needs to be really jaunty, and uh, mm. most of the stuff I did would get approved, and 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 you know sometimes there'd be a rewrite. Uh, but I think he was really happy with it. You know, he would say, "How do you do that?" You know, it really is a different aesthetic. 
you know, than writing songs. It's a different aesthetic than writing songs. It's making things work under dialogue and picture, and you're really a, another cast member or a supporting role, and you really need to approach it like that. You're not the star of the show. You know, you're helping tell the story. Right. Were there ever any discussions of putting out a, a score or, you know, any kind of release of the songs from that show? None that I know of. Well, it's too bad. I would love to. I would love to get to to listen to those and, and revisit those songs. The only studio that contacted me about doing that was uh, Universal wanted to release all the music I wrote for Astro Boy, hmm. and I don't know why at the time I said, you know, if, to me it was just too much trouble, and I was on another series and library music being licensed for other shows wasn't really doing a big deal of business at that time and and i not my best career move just uh, said you know what I, you know i remember what i said i declined the opportunity politely and uh, i should go back to them and say hey you guys still own this and it might be yeah <laughs> i was kidding tell them that, you know, 15 years later that no no i meant yes oh. I wanted to ask you, Will, about your Emmy nomination. You got a nomination for Outstanding Sound Editing, Live Action, and Animation for Coconut Fred's Fruit Salad Island. Yes, it's true. (laughs) Uh, And, uh, you know, I've never been nominated for a lot of awards. I've won some some other ones, and I think it's partly to do with my lack of motivation and hustle. A lot of people go out there and hustle and and talk to the studios and let's get this nominated and let's push. I was raising two children and barely able to to get through my weekly shows, so I never spent a lot of time politicking. And I was surprised that I was nominated because I had nothing to do with it. And actually, uh, there was no music editing in this show. I scored every single episode. (laughs) And... uh, So I really don't know where that came from or what it's about. I do know this, uh, the the show, when I wrote the theme for it, and this has happened to me more than once, they, they listened to all the submission themes, and mine was so much better and original than everybody else that the story editor made it a point to meet me. He goes, I just wanted to find you and meet you and tell you that your thing was so much better and original than everybody else's. There was no question in the room that you were the guy for the show. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, nice of him to say that, and he meant it. He, uh, he wasn't kidding. The show went nowhere, um, and uh, Pat Paulson, he's a famous voiceover talent. Like, he did almost all the Animaniacs show, and wow. he's, uh, he's a star, star in, a star in this business. And uh, I read an interview with him once, and he said, the one show he regretted doing in his whole career was Coconut Fred's uh, Fruit Salad Island. Yeah, so I think it gives you an idea about right. uh, the impact on the world we had. But it's Emmy nominated. That's so cool. Yeah, but but still, you know, I sometimes wonder if I should even put that in my bio. But I go, you know what? It's it's good. It's true. It's true. Let's just keep it in there. <laughs> it's, it's actually true. Why not? Good for you guys for fact. Yeah, you fact checked it. Great. Great for you. Now, you've worked with, you know, obviously, Al, you've worked with these shows. But I see this list of celebrities that you've worked with. 
And the first one that catches my eye is Jack Black. I mean, obviously, as a fan of comedy music, I'm a huge Jack Black fan, Tenacious D, uh, Mr. Show, everything he's worked on. What was the circumstance of working with Jack Black? Uh, you know what? I uh, I only talked to him a couple times. And what I did is I did the Kids' Choice Awards for about six years in a row. Wow. And there would always... Yeah, there, and those were always fun to work work on. Bob Bain Productions and... and uh, and uh, they hired me year after year. I, I, I went a couple of times. You know, they used to do it at the UCLA uh, Poly Pavilion. And uh, I scored all the skits, all the live stuff, and uh, produced in, uh, these songs for the talent to sing, you know. Mm -hmm. And the one I did for Jack Black was uh, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting by Elton John. <laughs> wow, cool. Yeah. Yeah, and so I did a sound alike, but I knew from listening to his voice as the music director for the show that it was in, in a, the key was too high, and I wanted to lower the key, and uh, you know called him to talk to him about. It. I go, you know, you'd kill it just a step down, and he just, uh, you know, he said, no, uh, leave it in the original key, and uh, to my humble ears. It made his high energy performance because he was running around the whole time. Yeah, uh, a suffer. You know, he couldn't hit those notes. Elton John, he has a especially in the days back in the seventies when he recorded that. Those are those notes are up there for any tenor singer. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you know, I, I feel all these years later he missed out by not taking my advice. But uh, I guess he's done pretty well, so <laughs> he can live without it. Right. <laughs> I mean, and so going through some of the other names you have listed, Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, Al Pacino, Nicolas Cage, Jim Carrey. Uh, you know, what, what were some of your favorite experiences working with these, you know, different uh, talent? Yeah, I forget. I did a song for Jim Carrey when he was on the, uh, the, the main guy on the Kids' Choice Awards. And I don't remember what that was. Some of those other people... <clears throat> They were getting, I also scored the America Cinematheque Awards, mm. uh, and and they would be honoring Nick Cage, or or uh, there's some other ones, Nicole Kidman, uh, some of the other ones you mentioned, and I would always write their awards uh, themes, you know, as they mm -hmm. went up to the podium to, to get the award and be celebrated, and, and so I would work with them on the style they wanted, and you know, we go back and forth, and, and then uh, usually it's something kind of grand and noble. Right. And uh, those are the artists I, I worked with on on, on, uh, on those. Uh, uh, what Who were they again? I can't remember which ones were they. I know Nick Cage and Nicole Kidman. Tom and Cruise, Dustin Al Pacino. Tom, no, Tom Cruise. No, that was a song. Uh, that was a song, and I don't remember what it was, but that was a... That was a uh, uh, definitely uh, Kids' Choice Awards because I remember him getting slimed at the end of the show. You know, they slime them they slime all, right? That's of part course. of the deal. <laughs> now, I'm looking through your resume as well, and I'm seeing a couple little things that you did with Bermuda and Jim West, such as, well, one of them with, uh, was his remake of Biker Mice from Mars, a punk rock opera. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Biker Mice from Mars was my first big animated hit. Uh, and we did the opera and uh, reboot of the series many years later. The first 65 we did were the best ones. Uh, I wrote, 
I was just getting into animation and uh, actually uh, a guy I know and I'm, he was a producer, but I'm gonna name, leave him nameless for now because he's on a political talk show now and I don't want, anyway, he, he uh, said he, that he was smoking some pot and just trying to come up with an idea as cool <laughs> as Teenage Mutant Ninja <laughs> And uh, I had just done some um, you know, toy ads for Mattel and he heard of me and so I wrote a theme on spec, you know, no charge. And yep. he, he called me, I just sent it to him and he called me and he goes, man, I've listened to this 27 times and you absolutely <laughs> nailed what I'm thinking about. <laughs> Wow. And uh, he made they made a test piece out of it, and New World bought it, and, and it became a big hit. My friends on the road said the most constant thing out here, this was about the same time CNN went big. He goes, the most constant thing on all around the world is Biker Mice from Mars and CNN. <laughs> it's in every country we go to. So, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> the, the rock opera was kind of, um, I feel like it was a failure. Uh, I, I don't know that the story was very strong and I didn't have enough time to produce the vocals. Uh, you know, budgets are tough in animation and it got tagged on on the end of, of uh, the voice record. And I remember just being able, just having to get first takes on almost all the songs. And I personally, I don't know how it ever did. I don't think I ever watched it because I felt it was a disappointment for me. And I was, uh, I actually don't watch a lot of my shows. Oh, I yeah. actually hardly watch any of my shows. Uh, once I get done with them, I'm done with them and I move on. Um, uh, except to see what's working or not working. Once I feel like something is, you know, because I see them a million times when I'm working on them. When I'm, when I'm writing, I have the picture going constantly. Right. And I have the dialogue in constantly because I'm part of that. And as soon as I, I learned early on, you shut off the dialogue or the picture, you start writing some great piece of music and then you turn the dialogue and picture back on and it's just too big and busy and, and it, it's, it's competing for for the main stage and so I learned to you know always write with the dialogue and picture on and that's that's how I do it and after you know it takes a long time it used to be two weeks and then post collapsed to a week and uh, it's still like you know you watch it 50 times you know and you don't need it's like I don't want to see it again right. <laughs> I totally understand that <laughs> Yeah, there's another piece here, too, that you also worked with Jim West, uh, Bermuda Schwartz, and another name that would be familiar to Al fans, Larry Antonino, on the Miss America pageant as well. Yeah, yeah, Larry, Larry, uh, yeah, the, the bass player, right? Right, yep. Yeah, no, Connie's a great player, and I had a lot of great horn players on that. Tom Evans, who's now with the Eagles, and a lot of the other guys, and... Uh, you know, we nailed that chart, and it's not because of me. I mean, it was on the page, and those guys just played the heck out of it, and it's a swinging tune. Um, trying to remember who was on the drums, I think it was Joel Taylor, who's another just monster. Uh, he's, yeah, he sight-read the chart. I remember, you know, because drummers will sight-read the brass charts when there's no drum chart, and I said, there's no drum chart, and he goes, well, give me the brass chart. He's looking at it five seconds, and he goes, you know, there's a mistake in bar 10. I mean, <laughs> you know, 
this is a drummer. Drummers usually can't read music, you know. Uh, he's, he's, re he's remarkable. He's always wow. playing all over the world with, with the heavies, you know, like the guys from Weather Report and Chikoria. And, yeah, I mean, just uh, he's yeah. just so good. Uh, the same kind of big band sound I did for the Dick Cavett show. Um, I redid the, uh, the... I had to do the theme in the outro because they didn't have the, they were lost actually. They recorded the original Dick Cavett shows live and the band just played live. And so all the versions they had of it had, had coughing and they weren't clean. And, and so they needed clean front and back uh, uh, versions. And uh, man, you could tell, I mean, no, you know, those guys, I mean, same thing at the Carson show. I hope I'm not speaking out of turn, but there was a bar set up behind, uh, the stage at the Carson show and the guys in the band, you know, I mean, they were just, you know, getting hammered and, and, uh, everybody was, uh, hammered really. And, uh, you could tell, I mean, one of the guys said it that when we were tracking the outro for the Dick Cavett show was a kind of a slow boozy blues. And finally one of the horn players goes, man, those guys are sauced. I can tell, you know, <laughs> it was loose, you know, the, the groove was loose and boozy. So, no offense, guys, if you're listening to this. You know. I want to go back a little bit to when you recorded with Al in the studio. What was it like recording with Al in the studio on the couple tracks that you were on? Well, like I told you, he knows exactly what he wants and what he's doing. And uh, at first he had his own producer. I think Rick Naringer produced for a little while. But yep, right. really, he produces the records now. And by the time I got back to do that Dylan song with him, I mean, he is, uh, he just grew from there. He's always been a stickler for detail and he is even more so now. He just, he just wants to get everything exactly right, exactly the way he hears it. And every detail of the sound likes that he does, uh, right. And, and the parodies that he do does have to be even more exact. I remember they were doing a Taylor Swift parody i don't remember the name of it mm -hmm. but jim do you know jim west is chemo sometimes yes yeah i call him chemo son uh, uh anyway but yeah J james west came uh you know we were hanging out for lunch and he goes god you know there were six or seven guitar tracks i had to do all of them exactly right it was like it took him i don't know a whole day um all those guys in the band have become such virtuosos of every single style. Mm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, recording with them was easy. Uh, recording with Al, like I, I, I think I tapered, uh, trailed away. But uh, you know, he's uh, like many producers knows exact knows exactly what he wants, and he's but he's not uh, a drama guy, you know. He, he and he's fun to be hang around. But he's also, let's get this done, you know. I think he's a little bit more, a little less weird and a little bit more like, all right, guys, here's what we're doing next in the studio. I would love to go back to Nipper, and I would love to know how you and Bermuda actually first met and how did you come to form a band together? I don't remember, but he ended up, uh, I guess, auditioning. You know, he's always playing with bands and still in, in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. and uh, And he was always like, I mean, he was always a big trooper for our band, too. He had our logo stenciled on his bass drum and on his car, his Volvo, and uh, was always helping with the promotion. And 
helped produce the record and did the artwork for it. And uh, actually, um, you know, the same thing once he got going with Al, he brought in his brother, Richard. God, do you remember his last name, his brother's name? Yeah, Richard Bennett. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he came out to see a couple of our shows. I remember he liked my sax playing. That guy's good. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Berm brought him in to produce the demos with which they went on to uh, get a record deal. And, you know, Richard Bennett is a guy who was, you know, uh, really successful uh, in, in Nashville and uh, with Neil Diamond's band forever and, and you know, d- just has done so many things. So I don't remember how, where or how, you know, we, we, ad, we ran ads in the Recycler like every other band and auditioned several drummers and he ended up in, in the band and he's just really astute and professional and good. That's so great. So what are, what are you working on now? What are, what are the next things that we can look for you on? You know... I'm taking some time off for the first time in 30 years. When I finished season nine of My Little Pony, June 20th of last year, mm-hmm. I was ready to come back to Los Angeles and just chill out. So I'm writing some stuff. It's just personal stuff. I don't really have any inclination to go try and sell it because I don't want it. the pressure of selling it to affect my creative process. Mm. It's just stuff I'm doing for me. And I'm going to the gym and working out and staying healthy and hanging out with my with my girlfriend and we're living together and in sin and it's a good life and that's all I'm looking for for right now. Uh, oh, that sounds great! This was so much fun. Thank you so much for for taking us down memory lane and telling us all these. I mean, just such an amazing career that you've had. You certainly have earned taking some time off. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I deserve my time off totally. I never thought that, but I've been at war so long that I, I feel like now I'm with a soldier and a gun going, okay, where, where where's my victory parade? Where, what, what, didn't we win? What, what do we do now? Honestly, I'm so used to being on just an impossible schedule for so many years, and a lot of those raising my kids and doing carpool at the same time that it, it took me two or three months just to learn how to sleep in and have a cup of coffee with my girlfriend in the morning. Wow. But, you know, thank you for interviewing me and for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to to be remembered for my small role in Al's band. And I, I really value my friendship with him and all the guys in the band. And, and it's it's been tremendous watching their success dec- decade after decade. One wonderful bunch of guys. And Al's just a terrific artist. And I will leave it at that. Well, thank you so, so much. For more information, we can follow you online. You've got a website, andersonscores.com. You've got all your credits and, and discography and everything on there. And, you know, whatever you do end up doing, releasing that personal stuff or, or working on more shows, we look forward to, to seeing what's next. Yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for your interest. And if, if I do pop into something interesting i'll definitely let you guys know and you know there could be something huge huge thank you to will anderson it sounds like he's going to take some well-deserved time off until of course dave it's time to make the my little pony transformers cartoon I definitely hope if they do make that My Little Pony Transformers crossover that they do invite Will Anderson to do the score for it. That would be so awesome. 
<laughs> we want to remind everybody that we still do have just a couple of those beautiful screen print posters available from our Jonah Ray UHF event. They were, of course, designed by the great Jeff McClelland and Andrea Chivone. And if you are interested in those, as well as sticker packs and anything else like that, just get in touch with myself, get in touch with Dave, get in touch with Frank, and we'll be happy to set you up with one of those. And don't forget, you can check out our brand new official Dave and Ethan's 2008 Weird Al Podcast merchandise shop. It is over at shop.2000inch.com, and there are so many awesome items on there. Ethan, what was your favorite item that we had in there? I really love the shirt of us and Jonah Ray, but now I'm really also digging the Gill and Chill coffee mug. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that is like the perfect accessory for any, you know, evening of sitting at home watching Gilligan's Island, just drinking, you know, your favorite beverage, maybe a Yankarita, out of your Dave and Ethan's 2008 Weird Al podcast Gill and Chill coffee mug with the person you want to chill with. That's right. And Gill with. (laughs) (laughs) So you can check that out. We also have a Gill and Chill tote bag, some other tote bags, pillows, shirts. We have tank tops. Head over to shop.2000inch.com. And of course, we're always working on adding new designs, new stuff. We're even working on adding fresh, delicious, vegan insurance options to the shop. Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast is brought to you in part by the Don Ferlazzo Allstate Agency in Clifton Park, New York. If you drive like crazy or about to buy you a condo, Don Ferlazzo and his team can help you with crazy good auto, home, and renter's insurance. Plus, the Ferlazzo Agency can protect all of your favorite stuff, like your Transformers Wreck-Gar action figure or your cheese sandwich plushie. You may think your insurance is good enough for now, but don't wait one more minute. Find the Ferlazzo Allstate on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and give them a call at 518-278-3543 for a free quote today. The Ferlazzo Agency. We sell insurance. And that's all. Now, you too can become a sponsor of this podcast. We have great sponsorship opportunities over at patreon.com slash 2000inch. Head over there. You can see all the amazing ways you can support the podcast, including sponsorship. Big, big thank you to all of our listeners, subscribers, everyone who follows us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at 2000inch. And of course, those who have joined our Facebook group, But our number one thanks goes out to our amazing Patreon supporters. You can join the Patreon family by heading over to patreon.com slash 2000inch. And you can find us online at 2000inch.com and make sure you share all of our posts. Tell all of your friends about the podcast. And at any time, you can leave us a message at 347 Spatula, our official Dave and Ethan's 2008 Weird Al podcast hotline. It is open 27 hours a day. Feel free to call anytime. All right, Dave. Well, thanks for taking time out of your well-deserved vacation to join us for the podcast. Oh, it was my pleasure. I will be back again in New Jersey next week. And Ethan, I expect that my solid gold throne will be properly polished and shiny when I get there. And there will be a Yankarita waiting for me when I arrive. You hear that, Frank? That was Dave and Ethan's 2008 Weird Al Podcast. 
episode 42 in. Da 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 da.